time for two blokes talking tech. There is a lot going on in technology, as always. For the latest news and information about technology. It's fantastic to get these speeds on a mobile phone, isn't it? The speeds on this thing are amazing. Two blokes talking tech. Very nice, snappy performance. It's a good phone. Yeah, there's a few pros and cons with this. With Trevor Long from yourtechlife.com. Now, my advice to people who like this kind of service is... And Stephen Fennick from techguide.com.au. I really like this new service. Gives you that flexibility to hear your music anywhere. Two blokes talking tech. Stephen and Trevor always providing the best advice. Lots to talk about on Two Blokes Talking Tech. This is Two Blokes Talking Tech. Episode 299. Thanks to the good people at Netgear. Netgear.com.au. Tell you about them shortly. It is Two Blokes Talking Tech, or as we like to call this week's show, Two Blokes Talking Taiwan. It's Taiwan Trev and Tech Guide Taiwan here. <laughs> G'day, Trevor. Yes, we're here in uh, sunny Taipei, or, or actually overcast Taipei. Oh, I can see some blue. It has been raining though, solid rain. The, the two blokes got soaked on a on a run on a Seven Eleven run. We got hammered with the rain. The rain, yeah, <laughs> yes. Seven Eleven run. We've uh, we've hammered Seven Eleven while we're here, haven't we? Yeah. Well, it's the only place I can eat. <laughs> yeah, Trevor hasn't got the most exotic taste in food. I've got to say. Yeah, I do. I eat all the coloured M and M's. Yeah, there you have it. Yeah, well, but not the peanut ones. Anything that is it that you can't put tomato sauce on, to Trevor just won't eat it. No. Exactly. Two Blokes Talking Tech, episode 299, a very special 300th episode coming up next week. Two Blokes Talking Tech. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech with Trevor Long and Stephen Fennick. Well, Stephen, we are here in Taiwan and in the city of Taipei as guests of HTC, the mobile phone company. And I think for perspective, uh, I was looking at kind of global market share. I was looking everywhere for where does HTC sit? And you've got you to realise that in the global sense, Samsung, Apple, uh, Huawei, Oppo, uh, there's even, I think, Vivo is is like an American um, uh, no-name brand. I mean, HTC actually doesn't sit on the ranking chart in in globally, and, and certainly not in Australia either. They're not in the top four in Australia, but they're still a massive company. You've got to remember these are big markets, um, and we're here to look at a couple of things, which we'll talk about shortly. Uh, we did a factory tour, which we'll talk about in a bit, but most importantly, yesterday they announced a brand new smartphone, their flagship phone for the year. We don't have pricing or availability yet, but Essentially, this is their yeah should, should, should be out in June, and I'm going to guess it's a you know twelve hundred dollar phone, right? I so I agree. Oh, I think I think it's going to be a nine 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 job, mate. If they bring this at nine nine nine, kudos to them. But I think it's going to be one oh nine nine at least. Just in just on that, I, I think you got to remember when they released the U Ultra, yeah, like a month and a half ago, thousand and ninety nine dollars. That is now reduced to eight ninety nine. Not a good look reducing the price of something exactly so quickly, right? And I, I think it's it's a I think it's a pride thing. It, the companies don't want to be seen to be per- producing a cheaper product than the opposition, but there's that dilemma: do they do they stick to the high price and keep their pride, or they lose customers? Like, what do you want more? So, three things that stand out for me about the U11, as I kind of reflect on what it is, probably four things really. Design being one of them, it is it is a beautifully designed phone, but that ca- that carries on from the U Play and U Ultra, the 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 gloss liquid um, liquid look back, liquid surface, liquid surface. Um, but. There's, there's three things. Uh, camera, uh, best in the business, allegedly. Audio, uh, amazing. And squeeze. So let's talk camera first. And then if okay. you've got other things, well, great. Squeeze later then. Yeah. We're, we're, the ranking of those features are different to the ranking that I've applied oh, to. That them. wasn't a one, two, three. In fact, my number... Well, yeah. let, me, let me start with my number okay. one then. Okay, I'll do my number one. Right, you do your one. number I one. You, I'll tell you your number one and you tell me my number one. Yeah. Your number one's the audio. Yeah. And what's my number one? Squeeze. There you have it. So let's talk audio then. Fine, we'll come to the camera later. Yeah. Audio. This is, this is something interesting. There's a lot of stuff in this phone, theoretically, that make audio just next level. They call it 3D audio. There's four microphones in this thing. So when you're recording a video, 
it's it's recording uh, with four microphones and you can listen back to it and pinpoint uh, the audio that you want to listen to, so you can kind of touch acoustic, on someone. Acoustic zoom. They, they, they acoustic did a focus. They did it. Acoustic focus. They did it. They did a demo of a, a woman playing the violin in a park, and you can hear all the noises. And then they zoomed in on on the woman playing the violin, and then suddenly the sound of the violin was suddenly louder, and all the other noises dropped away. I thought that was an impressive demo. I agree, but I want to do it myself and understand yeah. whether it's whether it's really that that good. But the thing that they're using those microphones on the device for, and there's no three and a half mil headphone jack, um, it uses USB C for your headphones or an adapter, which comes in the box. Um, very, very courageous. Yeah. Um, the headphones are noise cancelling out of the box. So you put these things in your ear, and the phone, there's no bulky thing on the cable like my Bose have, there's yeah. no battery to charge. The phone is doing the noise cancelling and sending you a clear signal in your ear. Oh, it's made. That's brilliant. That's a good feature. And and it's uh, not a great feature. It, it, it is really really clever. And and I just straightened out some details about that with some of the HCC people yesterday. Yes, the phone's got the microphones, but the microphone it uses for noise cancellation is the one on the headphone on the earphones. Yeah. So the actual processing of the noise cancellation is done on the on device. The phone, yeah. Now, one problem of having a noise cancelling an active noise cancelling headphone is that you've got to charge it. So with this, you don't need you, just, you don't need to charge the earphones because your phone's got charge. You got power. We're, we're, you're sorted. So and plus you got to remember they've got also the Usonic feature, the, the where the adaptive audio where it can adapt to the way you hear sound. So you pop your earphones in, it plays like this this white noise sound, and then after like 10 seconds it says, okay, and then it shows you your audio profile and then it lets you toggle between what you normally hear and the optimised sound, and the difference is amazing. So... Audio, big it's actually detecting what's happening in your in your yeah, bloody well, ear we canal. We all hear sound differently, apparently, and our ears are accustomed to sound. Mine is different to yours and and everyone else, and it adapts to that and then produces this beautiful, rich sound that that you hear better. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think that that uh, yeah, that is a great feature out of the box. If and I haven't tested, but if the noise cancelling is even sixty percent as good as uh, you know a, a Bose or a Sennheiser or a Sony out of the box. Then this is a you know a couple hundred dollars saving on a set of headphones. Absolutely. You know people that fly a lot. This is the kind of phone that will save you money because you don't have to buy headphones, uh, new noise cancelling headphones. You mentioned also too that these these earphones connect to the USB C port. Yep. And there is an adapter in the box though, so it's a USB C yeah, to three point five. But also. Um, the that this these audio features don't work with wireless earphones, so you can't have the adaptive here um, no. listening with Bluetooth or anything like that yet. So you're still attached with the device through the through the USB C, uh, but still that's not that's not a deal breaker. I think no, that's but excellent. I, look. I'm comparing it you know, on a plane. I use either my Sony MDR1000X over ears, yeah. or I've Is got Bose for my back. By the way, okay. Yeah. I've got. <laughs> <laughs> Harsh. Well, I went to Berlin with them last year, and that's They've been pestering me for them for a while, and I've, I've just had to relent and give them back. Fair yeah. enough, too. Well, yeah, and the other ones I've got are the Cherry gets to keep his. That's yeah. nice. That's okay. good. Wow. The other one I've got are the Bose yeah. Inie. Um, what do they call Sound Touch? Uh, yeah. Well, let's call them that. Yeah, they, and no. I, I purchased these at a because yeah, I'm desperate to have headphones at one point. They like four hundred go to noise cancellation on a plane. Yeah, because you can you can fall asleep with them on, and they're not bulky in the way. So the reason I, I equate those as the demo is because those plug in, right? So sound is good. You think okay, squeeze is great. Oh, look, I really I'm impressed with this feature because it is it just goes to show that HTC's really thought about something different 
But not, it's and to me, it, it, people are going to say, "Oh, this is a bit of a gimmick," and it's no people going to do it. But me, I, I think I think this is a really clever little feature because let's describe what it is. It's called Edge Sense. Now, Edge Sense allows you to literally squeeze the phone to uh, open apps, take photos, open your camera, fire up Google Assistant, all of these features. Hmm. Now the you know uh, you can uh, just say okay Google and Google Assistant yeah, fires. But uh, you, you think of how someone holds a phone. We generally hold it the bottom half of the phone, fingers either side of the screen. Yep. So in those exact positions now, HTC allows you to apply a little pressure, and then have a camera open up, take a photo without you having to go into any settings, open any apps. And it's also particularly helpful if you. Lo- I know how much you love taking your selfies, right? <laughs> if you are if you are having a selfie shot. You don't even have to go into the settings. I think a long squeeze then changes it to selfie mode and then a short squeeze then activates the shutter. And I think you've done a video. I did a video on Twitter and also on Instagram and it's also on my on my story that just shows how it's done. Now, you think about the the areas, the times where you can't take a photo underwater, touchscreen won't do anything for you. Uh, or if you're – a lot of people like to uh, – How many photos are you taking underwater? Yeah, not many, but – it's, it, it's it's waterproof too, so you can you can do that. But also too, if you're wearing gloves, like you're in the snow or it's cold somewhere, you you, you don't have to take your gloves off. You just give it a squeeze as well. Mm. So I think that that that's clever how they've they've thought to add that innovation because like you know the the, the touch screen was a massive game changer for a phone, uh, as as were these other ways to inter- interact with your device. This I think is I, I think is a really interesting new feature that people are going to like. Hundred percent agree. It's innovative. 100% agree they've done a great job with it. I am swayed by the idea that, you know, people in um, cold countries where they wear gloves a lot will get great benefit from it in, in, in some way. Uh, I just – here's why I put it down the, the order of, of that priority list is because I don't see it as being something that anyone else adopts. Yeah. So innovation is the kind of thing that everyone else is going to want to copy, steal, create, whatever. But just on that, if I can just add, the, the, they're saying they're going to do release a software developer's kit and I, my first thought was, well, how many, company, how, many, how many developers are going to just make an app change for HTC mm. if it doesn't catch on with other manufacturers? But the possibilities there for the customer, so the end user, to tick the box on what features they would like to replace with the squeeze for example instead of pressing the shutter on the screen i'm going to use the the edge sense the selfie mode is its its best feature and its best likely use case right because think about how often you're fumbling with your thumb to try and take that photo squeeze that's i love it that's great i'm just not sure it's enough to to warrant anyone else adopting it yeah but but it'll give i think hcc is going to give the customer the ability to replace default features on apps where you can replace it with a squeeze. So if you want to do a long squeeze fires up Facebook or long short squeeze gets your Snapchat, whatever, email, I think you can... Long squeeze chicken and corn. Corn. There you go. (laughs) Chicken and corn with a long squeeze. For you, it'll be a short squeeze, mate. (laughs) But look, I I rate that feature, Edge Sense, and you literally... That is the genuine name of it, Edge Sense. and You put the the, squeeze on your phone. The thing you'll see a lot, I'm assuming online mainly in Australia, but uh, probably on TV as well, is the the ads. I mean, they've they've already had a long tease campaign, you know, squeezing bottles, squeezing oranges. They're going to push this as their standout feature because it is unique. And I get that. As a unique feature, they have the unique ability to market it yeah. but i just don't think it's there it's it's the reason to buy the phone the camera though is interesting yes. now we 
we know the Google Pixel, when they announced the Google Pixel, they said this is the best phone ever as rated by DxOMark. 89 it scored on DxOMark's um, uh, testing labs. Now, I've said many, many a time that even back then they hadn't tested the iPhone 7 Plus. Uh, I'm not suggesting the iPhone 7 Plus is going to be better. It's probably not better than the S8 or, or the Google Pixel, but I still find it amazing that DxOMark haven't tested the iPhone 7 Plus, and that makes me wonder whether it's all just about you know money and licensing. Um, but that said, um, DxOMark have tested the HTC U11 and, and rated it a 90. Uh, the S8 is, a, is an 88, and the Pixel is an 89. Um, so it's the best smartphone camera on the market, and that takes into account things like uh, low-light imagery. Yeah. Uh, optical image stabilization on this thing is unbelievable from what we've seen in the demos. Yeah, we even saw the labs. Remember, we in, well, in we'll the talk about that shortly. The yeah. test labs, but um, in the short period that I've had, we've had the phone. I've taken a few snaps, and, and the quality is there. You can really see it. The screen on it too is a quad HD screen, mm. and it doesn't. It it still has that traditional shape. It's not like the long and skinny like the S8. This is even though it's got a five point five inch screen, which your your hands may struggle to hold. Oh. It's not too. It's not too big a device. Have you found that? It's my hands are not made of to uh, squeeze something 5.5 inches. <laughs> well, you got no worry there, mate. No worry by a long shot. So um, you, you're going to find yourself right at home with the uh, with the HCC U11. But the camera now, I rate the camera too. I think uh, that's one thing I'm really looking forward to doing is taking a lot of snaps before we leave Taipei yeah. and uh, and and test it out when we get home as well. But you know, if DxO Mark think it's the best in the world, I want to check this out for yeah, myself. Totally. So in a sound squeeze camera. All big highlight standout features. Um, design also. It's going to come in like five colours around the world, but in Australia, you know, it'll just be in like black and white. I think we'll get the silvery blue. I, I don't know. I think we might get four of the colours. I th- amazing silver because, because they can't. It doesn't look like silver. It yeah, it depends what's around it. It looks a bit blue. Looks a bit purple. Looks a bit green. Depends what's reflecting off it. But yeah. they suggested that the silver, because of it's so it's so reflective, would allow you to take a selfie using the rear camera because you can see your reflection in the back of the phone. Yeah, if your no, fingerprints use, aren't no, all over it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It is a bit of a fingerprint magnet, eh? Um, but there is a cover in the box, so yeah. Look, uh, and it's also got Alexa on board, so they've really gone hard on the digital assistant thing. Um, yeah, oh, look, I think I rate it, and I, I agree with you. If it, mate, $9.99 would be amazing. I just don't well, think that'll happen straight I, up. I out of the box, to, it's going to be more. I was trying to find out some information, but uh, I, I'm, we don't know who the carrier is going to be either. They've, they've, had, they've had a solid run with Vodafone yeah. of late. Telstra haven't done anything with it. Uh, I reckon this phone maybe Telstra may be interested in. That, that, that might be the surprise that we get uh, with, with the announcement of the pricing and availability mm. is that Telstra jumps on board. And, uh, and the price, I reckon, yeah, if it, if it pops under that $1,000 mark, it's competing in that top, top-ish end, but without climbing in the ring against the iPhone and the S8 and, and, and just getting knocked out. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, interesting. Uh, the U11, uh, you can see lots of photos, uh, videos, uh, reviews, hands-on, everything at uh, eftm.com.au and techguide.com.au. But, Stephen, the day before the phone was announced, yeah. we trottled along to where they make the phone. That's right. Yeah, we went out to, uh, I think it's uh, Taiwan City, which is on the outskirts of Taipei. And it looks, looked like a regular office building when we pulled up. I know. It was like a high-rise. When you were told we were going on a factory tour, did you not imagine a big warehouse-style yes. building and just rows of robots. Uh, I did. I did imagine that, and uh, that was completely, uh, completely thrown out the window. And 
the the it did look like an office block, but there. But the the minute that we had to put on our hair nets and our our HDC white lab coats and our foot covers, mm. then that obviously uh, showed that we were not going to walk into any old office. And what impressed me was, well, obviously how pristine and clean the joint was. But how in, in the early stages of the process, now the, the first part of the tour that we did was where they have the printed circuit boards and put all the, the components on the boards, test the boards. There wasn't a person, in, hardly anyone in sight. It was all done by ro- robots. Yeah, basically people just feeding in the, in the equipment yeah. or doing second chest tests if the computer failed it and stuff like that. Yeah, it was, yeah. And to, to the other thing that amazed me there, every single phone got tested. Like not, yeah. uh, not every one in ten, but every single phone was, was run through a battery of tests at every point along the way, which yeah. was interesting to me. So the, each printed circuit board had more than 6,000 points that needed to be tested and the machine did it in like a millisecond yeah. and uh, the, the way they did it they had like a printed circuit board that had four pieces to it so that's cut into four pieces so it's four different circuit boards went along the line the robots grabbed it did all the testing for the radio I think the sim the, the, um, GPS. the GPS all those tests were done before then, we had to go to uh, another. The next part of the process was a floor above us, wasn't it? We had to go up a floor, and this is what surprised me and, and you too. We, we went, we did the tour together, and we were. I think we took a shot on of our lovely hair nets and our jackets that we were wearing. But what surprised both of us was the number of people involved in the in the final process, where the components were put in the chassis, the chassis was glued together and tested. And uh, all, all, all the everything right to the final boxing was all people with their hands on every single one of these. There's a guy putting the antenna from one thing to another. There was a a, a lady putting the circuit board in. There was a, there was a lady. Uh, <clears throat> interesting to me was it'd been through all this process. It'd been through some diagnostic tests, but once it's kind of in in mid to final assembly. Uh, another lady then puts like a barcode on it, stick it over the top, and, and it puts it in like a, a rugged uh, case. And you think that's a pretty ugly case. And then you realise she's throwing it in a box that then spins it around, tumble. It's like a tumble dryer with, without the air, just tumble, tumble, tumble for like thirty seconds. And what that does is tries to displace anything that wasn't properly secured. And then they then it then it gets run through electronic tests to see again whether it's functioning properly. It gets yeah. pressure tested for the waterproofing. Um, screens and cameras are calibrated through an automated machine and once it comes out of the end of that if it passes it then it's again it's a manual process there's someone standing there going right i need a charger i need a cable i need a set of headphones i need an adapter i need a screen protector and i put it all in the box someone puts it in a box a little plastic thing on it you know whenever you open a new phone and that tight little plastic covers on it Mm. i'm thinking for sure that's a machine it's got to be a machine it's a machine it was a woman that we watched a woman do like three of them in front of us and she just places it in the box, and then the box they they check the box at the end of the line. They weigh the box yep. to make sure that it weighs exactly like all the others. Because yep. if, if it's lighter or heavier, there's either something missing or too many things in it. Yep. And I think straight away uh, there's a little room off the side where they take one in thirty, and one in a hundred other ones. Yeah, well, a random number, yep. and they then open the box as if they're a customer to make sure that it's all packed properly and yeah. the out-of-box experience is very nice. And we just walked along one production line. There were 40 production lines, two 10-hour shifts a day, a phone every 30 seconds, 96,000 phones a day. And and the great thing was they were making you know Desire 650s and Desire 5550s, but we walked along a production line 
that was building the U11, the phone that we were going to see unveiled the next day. It was honestly, I've seen a lot of things because we're very lucky. We get to travel, we get to see cool things. But this was fascinating to me. Absolutely, I think uh, I'm never going to look at a phone the same way again. Just realizing I'm going to be so cautious unboxing a phone now. I'm like, trouble went into that. Went into that, absolutely, yeah. But I've often wondered how it works, and and that we've we've seen the answer. It is a fascinating process, and and, uh, good to see. We literally saw a U11, the brand new phone, built from components to final product. We saw the whole process. Incredible. And again, some photos and our own thoughts on that process and tour at eftm.com.au and techguide.com.au. Now, Stieben, um, one of the uh, one of the real news stories of the week, other than our, our trip to Taipei, which has obviously been just huge news back home, um, <laughs> was, the, uh, was the WannaCry virus malware that has infected hundreds and hundreds of thousands of computers around the world, uh, which started at the end of last week. Now, you and I, have prob- you've probably done as many uh, chats about this as, as I have this week. It's been... Uh, overwhelming a lot of people wanting to talk about it you know the fact is here this is a a malware that has infected computers that have not been up to date Um, uh, this malware was essentially created by the nsa it's been obviously uh, changed and and rebuilt the nsa i think wasn't north korea a suspect at one point so the nsa built uh, or found the vulnerability in in microsoft in windows and built uh, software to suit that software was then leaked microsoft then patched their software but then because it's been leaked, a bunch of hackers, and let's say they're in North Korea, who cares, wherever they are, Russia, whatever, um, have built malware that infects computers rapidly via you know normal phishing attacks and things like that. But the thing here is because it's attacking vulnerable computers, if you're in a network, in a, an office of 100 computers and one person gets attacked, it will then infect other computers. It's made to yeah. infect other computers well, on a network. That's, that's what, what helped it spread so far was, you know, forget the ransomware side of it, it had the sort of the, the, the virality of a worm. Yeah. So it was replicating itself and going on all the other connected computers. That, that's how it, what, what's the, the figure was like more than 200,000 computers yeah. in, in the first couple of days. Yeah, the, in the National Health Service in, in, the, in the UK, the FedEx in the US, I've seen German train stations with their, you know, arrivals boards with an infection notice on them, you know, <clears throat> lots of computers affected. Now, the fact here is that every single computer that was affected was an unpatched computer. Um, but the Microsoft issued a patch. And, and the whole idea of that patch was to uh, make you protected from it. The version of Microsoft we're talking about, it's an older version. It's not Windows 10, is it? It's, it's, no. it's a Windows 7 or XP or something like that. Because yeah, like, so, a lot of companies and and organisations have are happy with the older version. Yeah, but if right. you're happy with the older version, here's what happens in a big organisation. I can tell you I've been in these organisations where you, you're the IT department. You say, listen, we've got to, we've got to run an update urgently. Uh, every single computer has to be offline for two hours between 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. And some asshole in the building goes, oh, mate, no, nah, no, nah, we've got to do something at that time. And you go, no, mate, this is important. And so the business doesn't approve it. And so these things get delayed and they get put back and they don't happen. And I can tell you this week would have been furious times at businesses around the country, around the world, saying, no, no we're doing the update because we can't be infected by this. You cannot ignore updates. And as much as it's terrible that people have been infected by this thing, best publicity ever for us to be able to say to people, sorry, do you want to be infected? Update your iPhone software. Update your window. When you get a software update notice, run the software update. It's as simple as that. Well, because the update is possibly 
closing these loopholes and these vulnerabilities. And, and while people are bitching and moaning, thinking, oh, I've got to do another update, well, what would you rather, do a small update or have to pay someone for your files? Yeah, because the, the outcome of this virus, this malware, is that it encrypts all your files and then it puts a notice up saying, we've got your files. If you want them back, pay 300 bucks. If you don't pay within a couple of days, it'll be 600 bucks. If you don't pay within seven days, you'll never get your files back. Breaking news... Pay the fine, pay the pay the ransom. You probably still won't get your files back. Well, if you're infected, you're infected. Though. Should should you? Like my, no. my understanding is, well, you're dealing with a criminal. Don't pay if, them. If you pay, you're creating a market. There's a market. If, if everyone pays, then you think beautiful. We're going to keep doing it. Yeah. And here's the other thing: if you pay, you are. It's you're not guaranteed to get your files. Back. You're, not, you're absolutely not guaranteed to get your files back. But I'll give you another example. You get email spam, and people say to me, "I reply, don't reply." If you get spam, don't reply. There's your email address is worth 0.001 of a cent. But if you reply, you're validating yourself as a real person. Your email address is now worth 10 cents. If you if you happen to have an email signature that says your name, your phone number, your address, your title, in your email address is now worth a dollar. If you pay the ransom on a thing like this, you are validating yourself as a human being, vulnerable to and willing to pay. Your value in the cyber yeah, crime world is targeted. enormous and you'll be targeted. But the fact is you won't get your files back. Oh, simple, yeah, simple, simple. It really goes to show how important it is to have a backup of your files. Back up your files. If, if you get a ransomware notice, you think, well, shit, I've got Big to, middle finger, I've got to restore thanks. restore my computer and, yeah, you can go and get stuffed. But the have, I've heard of cases, though, where even a connected hard drive oh, with yeah. a backup is infected. Critically, these so, viruses infect network computers and network devices. Yes. If you're doing backups, you have to take the drive out and put it in, in, your, in, your, in your drawer. Yeah. Your hard drive, your external hard drive can't stay connected to your computer doing backups. You have to disconnect it, folks. It is another option having a cloud backup as well. So yeah, totally. The cloud, that's, yes. a, that's another... The cloud is your best solution. So my advice to, to especially small businesses is run your email and your contacts in the cloud cloud first and foremost secondly run your accounting software in the cloud those three things alone will get you back in business on any computer immediately and after that it's things like photos and documents those things can also be in the cloud but there's a bunch of ways to do it and the other thing you do is stay protected keep your antivirus and internet security up to date and keep your computer up to date with uh with software updates this isn't the first time we've said this on on this podcast and our, our individual podcasts but if this isn't an example for people to take notice to, to do the right thing, protect yourself, update your stuff, have the internet security software. I don't know what is. So take care out there. Yes, take care, folks. Now, we live in a world where our connected devices have become an indispensable tool in our lives. Introducing the Netgear Nighthawk X10 smart Wi-Fi router. Uh, built using the latest in Wi-Fi technology, the X10 allows users to get the fastest Wi-Fi speeds on multiple devices simultaneously, and it's perfect for 4K streaming, virtual reality, and super-fast data transfers. The Nighthawk X10 smart Wi-Fi router is built to meet the needs of today's connected home, from connected deadbolts, smart lights, Arlo Wi-Fi cameras, the four powered active antennas reduce interference and intelligently direct Wi-Fi across large distances. Plus, it's got the Plex media server built in so you can wirelessly stream movies, videos across your network, jitter-free for the ultimate family movie night. The Netgear Nighthawk X10 smart router contains a quad-core processor, so it's super fast 
And if you want more information, go to netgear.com.au, the Nighthawk X10, the world's fastest Wi-Fi router. Now, Stephen, in uh, San Francisco at Google's campus uh, this week, over the next few days, uh, they'll have a thing they call Google I.O., which is basically their version of WWDC. Uh, it's where they release uh, Android software updates, talk about them. They, they release new ideas and innovations, and it's where developers go, oh, this is how we interface with Google. But it's also where companies that are working with Google like to demonstrate their wares to developers and other people. And um, I saw a note yesterday that Audi, Audi have uh, released Audi, or, or out Audi, taking the Audi, the car Audi company, the yes. Uh, they've got a they've got a Q8 concept um, kind of uh, sports SUV, um, which they've taken to Google I/O to demonstrate uh, our Audi and Google's collaboration on Android. Now, if you want Android in your car today. You get a car that has Android Auto, you plug your phone in, you get really great access to your maps, your contacts, your, your SMSs, all that kind of stuff. It all appears on the screen, really, really handy to use. But you've got to plug a smartphone in. What Audi and Google are doing is basically saying, we're going to make Android the in-car operating system for our infotainment system. So you can choose to open up Android Auto, Google Maps, um, Spotify, you know, TuneIn Radio, other apps that have been approved within your car without ever connecting your smartphone. So a lot of Audi cars today, in fact, nearly all Audis today have a SIM card in them. You know, they're, they're connected cars by default. And this, this allows them to have that connection and utilize the software and the, the technology that exists within Android. So I think it's really exciting. So, are you, so the, the car itself, got, it's got its, its operating system is, a, is technically Android, yeah. but that's not going to stop you connecting your iPhone to the car or things not like that. So it, it may well still have Apple CarPlay as one of the connected options. It may also still allow you to use Android Auto from your phone because you've got to remember your phone is also your phone where you receive calls and it's where your text messages are. So you might still connect your phone. But things, the example is Tesla. You can get in a Tesla and it has Spotify built in. Okay, it doesn't run Android, but it has Spotify and TuneIn Radio built in and it has a SIM card. Even if you left your car, your phone at home in your Tesla, you can listen to your Spotify playlist or TuneIn Radio. That's the kind of connectivity that the car of the future will have. Absolutely. I think, well, it's it's a no-brainer that that, that's the direction we're, we're heading in, but... If you would Audi in the future uh, give you the choice if you want to run iOS or Android in your phone, maybe down the track. Or? Well, here's the thing. I think this that point. That's a joke. Bob. No, 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 no. I'm going to tell you. This is where you know the the, the rumors so about Apple, Apple and the car. car. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Apple, if Apple are working on anything, don't you think this is exactly what it is? Yeah. Um, but the 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 two areas of of innovation in a car are the the stereo system and the dashboard, right? The instrument cluster and that center console is almost computerized now in the in the in the top end cars. So my belief is that that's what Apple's working on with the Apple car. I don't believe they're specifically working on the self-driving car. I think they might have some some efforts going into it, but I think they're looking at that solution and going, right, how can we make this interface uh, amazing? How can we make this work? For people and be customizable. You, you think about where they're running their software now. Well, naturally, it's on our computers and on our phones, but now they want it on our TVs, like Apple TV is mm-hmm. there. And I think the car is a natural progression for that environment where imagine, it's the connectivity that it's going to allow. But also imagine being able to go from device to, to the car or computer to the car and it's all the same thing. Yeah, well, imagine an Apple CarPlay-enabled car, CarPlay being just the name of their in-car entertainment system in the future. 
um, interacting with a HomeKit-enabled home. So yeah. once you reach uh, two kilometres from home, the heater turns on, and once you, you, you reach 200 metres from home, the, the front light porch light comes on, not because you, you tell it to or press a button, the garage door opens, but exactly. because because your vehicle and your home are talking to each other, they operate together. That is the future of the so connected I, have, stuff. I, I know that there are some pretty solid rumours about Apple being involved in this space, and well, more than rumours really, aren't oh. they? They're, they're... Well, they've, they've, they've got permission from the Californian government to, yeah. to test self-driving cars on the open road. But to, to, to be clear, Apple are not going to manufacture cars. I don't believe that for a second. So they're going to they're going to have a solution just just like, and this isn't probably the best example. In the but same way they have Apple TV for a Panasonic. Yeah, exactly. But like you know, you go on a plane and you watch your, the entertainment system is created by Panasonic or whatever. So in in a similar way, the the operating system of the car will be supplied by Apple. Perhaps. Oh, mate, we don't know, but I, I feel like that's the smartest place for them to be moving look, into. Look, look what they did with CarPlay. I think CarPlay was the toe in the water. And, and all the big companies adopted it. Every major car manufacturer now offers it. And I think that was kind of the, the entree for the main course, which will be the, the fully, the full-blown version of the operating system for the car. Yeah, and your car comes with the Apple sticker on the window. You don't have to Is take it right? out of the box. <laughs> yeah, <really>. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, oh, we talked about Netgear and they're good sponsors of ours, but uh, the Orbi system, which we both have and I yeah. think I think is outstanding, has been... Upgraded slash downgraded. It's an interesting uh, product move from Netgear and a smart one. Well, I think that the uh, the original success of the Orbi and uh, it, it was designed for very for really large homes for large properties, and the the speed of the of that sort of came with the price. It was seven hundred and forty nine dollars for that for that system where you had the uh, the Orbi router and the Orbi satellite. Yeah. What what Orbi's done is actually what Netgear's done is release two new models of the system. Uh, which are which are slightly slower, slightly uh, uh, less in terms of coverage, but still wide enough to cover your typical home in all the corners of the house. Now, how many times have people ask you and me, oh, my, my internet doesn't work in the bedroom, out in the garage, wherever, and rather than having range extenders everywhere, Orbi with its tri-band system can cover, provide a more consistent uh, coverage across your home and maintain the speeds in all the corners of your home as well. So these new models, there's two of them. There's the RBK30, which has your original, your Orbi, it's the AC2200 Wi-Fi router, which connects to your, to your, your original, your existing modem. Mm. And the RBK30 has a, a wall plug satellite. So which you, looks a lot like the old Wi-Fi range extenders, but it uses the Orbi technology to create a mesh Wi-Fi network yeah. instead of just an extension. So if, like, if you like, and the Orbi, the Orbis themselves actually look quite nice. They don't look like a modem. So if you put them on a, on a shelf, it actually looks looks quite stylish. But if you want to use the wall plug instead, that that solves two problems. One, it's out of the way, and B, you've got powers to it directly rather than having to run a cable. But if you do want to display two of them, there's the RBK40, which gives you two similar shaped and sized. Devices, so one's the router, one's the satellite. They look very similar to the original Orbeez, oh, but they're just a slightly size. different yeah. shape. They're like a t- bigger taper a at the bottom. Smaller, is it? Yeah. It's slightly, slightly small. So, um, they're, they're, so there's now solutions now. If you want to go the whole hog, you get the full system. Uh, but there is, uh, there is now the AC three thousand was the original model. The these new models are available now, and price wise, you uh, you're paying slightly less or a lot less than the original four nine nine for the RBK thirty. That's with a wall plug satellite. But then you want to go up to the RBK forty with the two uh, same sh- same size and shaped uh, devices. That's five ninety nine. The RBK forty. So if you want to have consistent 
wireless coverage across your home uh, at, and good speeds, then the Orbi tri-band Wi-Fi system works. And I think the key thing here is, right, at 749-ish, or less, depending on where you get it at retail. It was an expensive option for people, but if you had a big home, it was amazing, right? Let's but if call you've... that the go big or go home option. A- absolutely. And but if you've got a home that's, that. say, a three-bedder with, you know, a, a backyard that you did want coverage in, you can now put the, the, the base model, the RPK30, with the wall plug. The wall plug might go in the kitchen yeah. where you've got good Wi-Fi, and now that's given the, you know, so basically it's it's well, the size of your home determines the size of your Orbi system. Absolutely right. Well, you think about it, people, a lot of people can, you can drop five, six, Hundred bucks on just a router, yeah. and if it doesn't reach somewhere else, you probably got to drop another one fifty on a range extender. So the the original seven forty nine doesn't seem so high now, but the these other models now gives you the option to to try something that's more affordable, but also still offers that same consistent Wi Fi coverage. And the thing that uh, people should check out also, if you follow the Netgear Facebook page, um, they've just started the Netgear. Orbi Wi-Fi Challenge. So uh, follow Netgear on Facebook and have a look at the uh, the Orbi Wi-Fi Challenge. Great little video of uh, someone showing how the Orbi uh, integrated into their home and gave them great Wi-Fi coverage. And there's a great little competition running from Netgear. So check that out at the Netgear Facebook page. Um, now, Stephen, <laughs> I have a bone to pick Fair with enough. you. Yes. Um, the Not NBN. You haven't got a bone to pick with me. Well, you got, pick, you got a bone to pick with the New York Times. You're amplifying the New York Times's crappy, my, crappy message. My my observation was, it was simply an observation that this is what the New York Times and and hence the US think of our NBN. Lefties, right? And it was uh, no, I don't know about that. No, the New York Times is a bunch of lefties, and they're being oh. and they're being and they're being directed by that same mob here, right? So the New York Times are clinging on to the the advice and the stories around Australia, which is which are, which are genuinely placed um, to create questions around how much money we're spending on the NBN. Now, the question that you rightly raise in your um, response or blog post around the the New York Times article is what. What would the actual fibre to the home Kevin Rudd NBN have cost? And when when you say it might have been seventy million, I say it might have been 90, 90 billion, right? There's if it's at forty billion now, there's no way on hell's earth that it would have still cost forty or less to do fibre to the home to every single premise in Australia. Anyone that thinks that is completely bonkers. Right? That's that's half the issue there, right? When when the when the Libs came to power in twenty thirteen, the Coalition came to power in twenty thirteen, and Rudd's go big or go home plan was fibre to every home. We're going to fibres everywhere. But they realised that the cost projection Which, was... Which, by going, the way, I support. Bring it on. Yeah, That's what I'd prefer. I love that. Exactly. But, but I also don't think that it's, it's uh, palatable to the electorate. Therefore, it would never have passed muster to spend that kind of money. So that's why it's shelved. Well, the, well, the projection was in 2013, $70 billion. So the, Liberal, the coalition comes to power and they think, All right, what are we going to do here? So... The decision was then to think, okay, we're going to use fibre to the node and then fibre to the curb, and then we're going to keep the existing copper. And that's where all that's where people where the hysteria started was people thinking, well, hang on a minute, what what, what happened to this original plan that's going to give us this top speed and make us the envy of the world? Mm-hmm. Now, as the New York Times rightly points out, our speeds are below standard. We we are hang on. This, this independent, uh, this Akamai rating, the ranking, has us at number 51 behind Kenya. Yeah, okay. How big's Kenya? I don't know how big Kenya Exactly. Is. Mate, we're but, a massive, massive country. Like no, it's not. Uh, my point is When this, was I, the NBN meant to be finished? Uh, 2020. Or tw- Wait, no, it was 2018, wasn't it? Was it was originally 2018, yeah. which, again, they would never have hit. Yeah. We're running at 2020 now, right? 
as of, I don't know, let's call it this month, where 50% of the country has the ability to connect to the yeah, NBN, but only 2 million homes have connected. So I, I love the fact that people, I'm not saying you, but a lot of people are trying to say that the current NBN model is crap because our speeds are still crap. Our speeds are still crap because... 20% of the country have the NBN and 83% of that 20% are choosing the slowest possible speeds. Yeah. So no, our speed radar, our speed ranking won't change until two things happen. Firstly, the NBN is complete and activated in every single home. So we're talking 2021 is when you can rightly do a speed test, Australia versus the rest of the world. And, and we need to educate people. Our job is yeah, to educate people absolutely. between now and then absolutely. that 25 ain't fast. Yes. You've got to choose 50 if you want fast or 100. I've got a couple of questions, right? Number one. When you when you spend fifty billion dollars on something, you'd expect it to be Mickey Mouse and brilliant. At the moment, I, I think it's not delivering on that promise. There's a lot of people that are they're, they're they're complaining their speeds are down and they're worried about the copper not working well with fibre. And how many of those people are actually connected to the NBN? Well, I don't know. There's a because, mate, whenever oh, this is this is what this is yeah. the hilarious thing. Whenever I, because you know, you and I have a different policy on idiots on Twitter. I engage, <laughs> right? So with idiots on Twitter who say to me their NBN is so crap, feel free to tweet Trevor, oh, right? mate. Bring it on, <laughs> but I'll hammer you. Okay, so just be careful. So with idiots on Twitter who say, "Oh, my internet's crap," I say to them, "Okay, tell me where are you? What sort of NBN have you got? And which plan have you signed up to?" Now, fifty percent of the time, they sign up to the twenty-five meg speed. Well, no shit, Sherlock. You're not going to get 25. You're going to get 18 to 20 depending on peak times. And that's well published. And that's the same with current speeds and current connections. But secondly, if they have got a problem, most of the time they haven't even tried to follow up with it. And yeah, I take the initiative and I say, let me let me look into that for you. And I talk to the NBN or their telco. And funnily enough, it gets looked at and hopefully fixed. Is- People are whingers. Because it's like they're card-carrying whinge people. Yeah, but but I think though, but but part of the problem is that it's become a bit of a political football and things. Are, <laughs> the, the, it's changed because because there's a now big sort of mixed grab bag of different technologies and a mixture and HFC is no longer any good for Optus and we're going to keep the copper from the street, the curb to your house. That I think is like are, are people going to get that top speed? Through a copper line that's been there for seventy-five years. Oh, I'm gonna here's, here's and this is all very personal because every single person is different. But let's let's just look at Trevor and Steve. So Trevor's got uh, Telstra cable and Optus, but Telstra cable. <laughs> <laughs> so so I'm gonna get the NBN via the HFC, the old Telstra it's pay TV cable, right? Thornley, so they've got to give you more. <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna get one hundred down forty up is the speed I can actively apply for. And I'll be very disappointed if my regular speeds are not around the 90 and, and 30 mark, right? Sure. I'll, be ve- I'll, I'll be disappointed, right? Now, on, you, you, you sir, hang on. Before you get on to me, yeah. you're, you said you got Optus and Telstra Cable, yeah. all right? So you're, they're going to use the existing Telstra Cable yep. and connect it to fibre to the curb or fibre to the node, or what are you going to get at your place? No, HFC. I'm going to get – they're using the cable everywhere. Oh, so the existing Telstra Cable yes. is going to be your, your NBN. Yes, so, well, that's so all cool. they do so is upgrade all the backhaul and stuff. It's going to get faster for you. Correct. Okay. But so in your situation, Stephen, where you're an Optus cable customer and they've determined the Optus cable network for whatever reason is yeah, not suitable, they're going to run fibre to along your footpath essentially yeah. and then they're going to connect that fibre to the copper line that runs your phone in the house. Yeah. I'll give you a gold plate of guarantee, champ. You'll get better internet than me. because oh, fibre. Yes, because fibre is closer to your home. 
So the hybrid fibre coaxial is what I'm getting out the yeah. front. I'm getting a mix. I'm getting a, a piece of technology that is as it's not as old as copper, but it's so bloody old. We're bringing it to the street. They won't. What about the existing connection from the Optus? Oh, that's going to go the cable to my house. So yes. that's gone. But so copper will still give me faster speed. That this is the concern. You'll be able to and get I'll, exactly the same speeds as I am if you're prepared to pay for them. You'll be I'll able to get it. 100 down and 40 up on fibre to the curb, baby. That's what I'm going to do. And if if I get faster speeds than you. <laughs> That'll make me very, very happy. The thing is right now, the thing everyone's got to remember is once the inbound's active in your area, you've got 18 months to sign up, okay? There's millions of people who haven't signed up yet. They're in that 18-month window. If you're going to whinge about it, sign up. If you're going to whinge about it, sign up and don't choose 12 or 25 plans and whinge about speeds. Well, that's another question. Like, should, shouldn't we just have the internet? Like as, 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 as it exists today, like forget having to choose a speed. I, I know this is another money-making way for the telcos to resell, to retail the, the NBN. It costs more to provide big, bigger bandwidth and better speeds. Yeah, well, it, 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 like one in all in. Like at the moment, you, you, you don't choose but mate, speed, what, you just but, get, just okay. get the internet. I agree. Let's say we agree on that. Yeah. The, the, app, the price then would need to be somewhere, you know, the, yeah. in the middle, right? Let's call it 60. If, if we could get everyone at 60 bucks a month, everyone could have 100 meg speed. Do you reckon that's good? Absolutely. What about little granny who doesn't want the internet, but she just wants a connection? She's the one choosing 12 meg right now because 12 meg gives you a phone line. Yeah. Well, so the problem is, mate, a huge percentage of the population she'd have, she'd are elderly. She'd have a pension or discount. It would. <laughs> she still no, wouldn't be happy. Mate, discount. she would not be happy paying 60 bucks. I'll give you the gold no, plate of guarantee. It'd come down to 55 90. It wouldn't, mate. It wouldn't make a rat's well, of difference. Because the government owns the asset, can't they look after the pensioners if they don't want the faster speed? So you're happy it's with them spending? You're happy with them mate. spending 40 or 50 billion dollars, but then also spending more to compensate people for the? Oh, mate, it's but, just but it's that's the, a rabbit it's hole. The government's asset, like the government owned the asset, yeah. and the government needed to make money. Absolutely, because then they're going to sell it. They're going to make money. Well, once everyone signs up, they bloody well okay. will, yeah. But I can't, yeah, like you were about to say, I can't see them. Do you think anyone's going to pay more than $50 billion for the nation, national broadband network? Would it be As in to sell it? Yeah. Oh, it'll be worth hundreds of billions. Well, why don't they? Why didn't they then? Hundreds of billions, maybe not. Well, why didn't they think of a better way? Like I know fibre to the premises was the no, no, the, 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 the business. I'm, I'm not going. I don't have the details, but I'm prepared to say, and someone might correct me or not, but I'm prepared to say that a business case would show that if you invested eighty billion dollars in building a fibre to the home network, it would be worth that and more yeah. as an ongoing business, right? But. In the 10, 15 years in between time, you've got five changes of government under which no one's prepared to have that money on the books. And that's the problem with this country is is we're not prepared to have the, the long-term foresight to, to have that investment. But I think it was it was more of a PR nightmare than a, a, a financial nightmare because Correct. because the, the the whole idea of it is no, it's never on the books because it's not in the budget because it's an asset. No, that's right. It's, so it's, that's right. It, it, it was just the number that the, the, the politicians are getting pilloried by the increasing cost blowout and, and Labor leaves power like, right Gets gets the liberal coalition comes into government and these little hand grenades handed to them where it's oh, hang on by the way that that forty billion dollar thing is now going to cost double 
Yeah. But mate, that we're not up. Bad look. But it we're not up in arms look. about fifty billion dollars being spent on frigging submarines in South Australia. We don't need. Do you know Is what I mean? Much like they're spending. On yes, it's ridiculous, yeah. right? So we're spending ridiculous and more money. Like they could be built overseas for less money, but we're trying to protect a few jobs in South Australia. So the fact is it's political. It's always going to be political. And that's why we've had to compromise. And folks, bad luck. Unless you're all going to vote Labor, which you didn't. Um, and thank God you didn't. Two um, talking politics. <laughs> then, then unfortunately, the NBN is... Oh, it's going to be a hot potato, mate, until 2022. I'll give you a gold platter guarantee. Now, let, me, let me ask you this. It's a very simple question. Could the Australian, could we have done better in the rollout? Well, yes, we were, we were going to do better with the fibre to the home. Just bringing it back to the New York Times story, yeah. they've sort of documented the whole seesawing Which, up so, and down so battle. Let, let, me, let me address the New York Times story directly then. The New York Times story is accurate in that Australia as a nation, as a political beast, bungled the NBN rollout. But you can't, that using speeds is the worst because even today under Kevin Rudd's plans, we'd still be slow because the population hasn't all come on board yet. It's all about the timing that matters when you're doing speed comparison. Timing, what about now with the, uh, you know, we're talking NBN and we're generally discussing 100 megabits per second. What about now with the introduction of 4G LTE, 5G down the track that's going to be 10 times faster than that? Where does that put us now, do you think? Well, it means that when we're working remotely, we've got great speeds. But, you know, the capacity of a mobile network to deal with, you know, 20 million people doesn't exist. You know, you can't rely solely on a mobile network. You know, go to, go to ANZ Stadium on Grand Final Day and tell me that you can rely on a mobile network to deliver consistent speeds to people. But it doesn't, doesn't the 4G LTE and, and in down the track the 5G create that wider, that bigger pipe for, to, for that exact capability? And what were we doing with the bigger pipe? Bigger things. I don't know. Faster data. Faster. Yeah, but we'll be doing more with it. So therefore, it will chunk up as bad. But say a lot of people jump on a one gigabit per second network, uh, it'll come down to 300 gigabits per second. That'd be be terrible, wouldn't it? Do you know what I mean? Isn't that built-in capability there where you you shoot for the stars and still hit the moon sort of thing where you still have the capability? If if we go wide, if the whole nation goes 5G, then... We're not all going to get one gigabit per yeah, second, well, but, if we, but get two, if we get 100 gigabit per second, well, hello, it's as good as meg. Yeah, well, look, uh, the, let's remember, let's remember, Telstra hasn't enrolled at 4G to the whole nation, yeah. right? So it's all well and good for us city slickers to talk about 5G and fibre to this and that. But, mate, there are people in rural and regional Australia who've had shit internet for decades and they're only now getting decent satellite or decent yeah. farm fixed wireless. I mean, you, you've got to remember, it, it, this, this is a nation national project that yeah. that's providing internet to places that were never going to get serviced by the telcos. iPrimus, Telstra, Optus, they were never going to roll out cabling to make their internet better out there. And that's why it's a national project that would never have been done otherwise. Well, I think we should all join hands and sing Kumbaya <laughs> and just get it done. Just get it, agree on something and finish it. Well, what's the date today, May the uh, 18th, 16th? I don't know, my watch is on the American 17th. time. Don't know where I am, um, but I'll get the NBN in uh, 10 days. Back to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got to wait. I'm June to December 2018, so in a year. I'll, I'll come around for my birthday and celebrate the NBN with you. Uh, two Blokes Talking Tech, episode 299. We'll be back in uh, Sydney next week for episode 300. We expect um, cakes to be delivered separately to both of us. Yes. Um, don't just send them to Trevor like <laughs> last time. I'm part of this podcast as well. 
I think that was our 100th too, wasn't it? Oh, I think it was 200th. Yeah, 200. No, I don't think it was 200. Is that right? It was that long ago. Mm. And you got the whole cake and didn't even share it. No. Yeah, thanks, mate. I didn't even eat it too either. Solid, yeah, solid you are. Anyway, we uh, we appreciate your thoughts, input and feedback on uh, on the show at uh, Ziggy Zaggy, the hashtag, Trevor Long on Twitter, Stephen Fennick at Twitter. We're back next week. Thanks to the good people at Netgear. Stephen, see you then. Well, we'll do that. 300 coming up. Two blokes talking tech. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech with Trevor Long and Stephen Fennick.